this morning, we're going to look at sharing the gospel with confidence. Sharing the gospel with confidence. And this week, I was thinking about a, a verse that always captures my attention in, in 2 Corinthians. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 9, he's talking to them about the issue of, of giving. And specifically, he's talking about the issue of a financial gift that the church there is taking up to, to give to the church in Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem have fallen on hard times, um, and they're in need of financial aid. And so Paul is traveling to other local churches, Gentile churches predominantly, who are giving of their resources, and they're going to give a gift to help support the church in Jerusalem. And so the entirety of that, that letter or that chapter of the letter deals with this gift and instructions on, on financial giving. But then it's, it's almost as if that discussion of the financial gift to the church in the Jerusalem does something in Paul's heart. He begins to be stirred over another gift. There's another gift that comes to mind that is not a financial gift, and it's not a gift from person to person. It's a gift that God has given to every one of his people. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, Paul closes that discussion by saying, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You see, as Paul began to talk about this financial gift, he began to think about the way that God has given the gift of his son to his people. That God is a generous giver, the generous of, generous of givers in giving his son. He's overcome with the good news of the gospel. Understand, as a Christian this morning, you may find things in the scripture difficult to understand. And it's a, it's a book written, inspired by God himself. We should expect to find things that make our brains sweat at times. For instance, you may find topics like eschatology very complicated and confusing. That's the doctrine of the end times. You, you may not be able to list all of the Ten Commandments in order. You, you may not know the names of all the twelve apostles by heart. You may not know the Hebrew names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But there is one essential doctrine that you must no. In fact, if you don't know this doctrine, the truth is you're not a Christian at all. You must understand the indescribable gift that Paul was so overwhelmed with. You must know the gospel. Do you know the gospel? Do you love the gospel? As believers, we should be very familiar with the gospel. It should roll off of our tongues. It should be easy for us to share it should be something that occupies our thoughts throughout the day. But not only should we know the gospel, but we should have a burning desire and a growing desire to share that gospel, to be equipped to more faithfully share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. But the truth is, what I've found in, in ministry over the years is that there are, there are many genuine believers who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who know the gospel and believe the gospel, but when it comes time to articulate the gospel in words to someone else, they struggle. They get tongue-tied. They, their brain goes, goes blank. You ever had that experience before? It's why I use notes when I preach, because usually my mind goes blank from there to here. But I just remind myself I have my notes. That can happen to you. You're sharing the gospel with someone. You know the gospel. You love the gospel. You've been saved by the gospel. But you open your mouth, and it's just, well, Jesus, of course, and uh, grace, um, it, it, it just leaves. This morning, as your pastor 
it is my role to make sure that you are equipped to not only know the gospel, but to share the gospel. And as we went through the book of Colossians, we looked at evangelism and the call to evangelize. And I promised you a few weeks ago that I would, would follow up that study with a very practical message on how do we do that? What are the nuts and bolts of the gospel and how do we effectively communicate that gospel to others? And so that is going to be our goal this morning. Now, if you're new here at North Lake Bible Church, if this is your first Sunday, I just want to explain, uh, to give you some context for our church, this is, uh, this is something that is not typical for us. Normally, if you come to our church, 99% of the time, we are doing something called expository preaching. We are we are committed to that. We have a firm grip on that commitment. And what that means is we preach through ver- uh, books of the Bible verse by verse. So we're going to be- begin Hebrews after the first of the year. We will start in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and make our way through the book. Uh, we-, we believe that that should be the steady diet of the church. But we just finished a, a lengthy study of the book of Colossians. And from time to time, in between book studies... We do want to handle uh, different topics that will also be used for the edification of the church. And this morning is one of those special Sundays. So we're going to step away from an exposition of one passage and look at an issue throughout the scriptures on what is the gospel and how do we share it. And it's my goal this morning that when we're done, that you as an individual Christian will have a clear, repeatable process for how to share the gospel with others. And may the Lord use it to bear much fruit in his kingdom. So, with that in mind, I want to begin just briefly with looking at our responsibility as Christians. I'm not going to spend as much time here because we've dealt with this in Colossians. But I do want to remind you of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. That every Christian has received this commission from the Lord Jesus Christ. Where he says, it says there beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There we have this clear instruction from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that it is to be normal and regular for Christians to be disciple makers. We understand that God is the one who saves, but we are to be faithful to share the gospel. And specifically, he says, go and make disciples. He doesn't say go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples. So we're, we're not to just go out and sort of just, just blast a bunch of people and get them to sign a card and say that they'll say yes to Jesus. We, we want to make real disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, who love him, who want to follow him and connect to a local church that they may do the rest of the Great Commission, which is learn all things that he has commanded and obey them. That is our call. We see clearly in places like Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how, how will they believe if they have not heard? The gospel must be shared. In John 14, 6, we see that Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. And then, of course, in Acts 4, verses 8 to 12, we have this wonderful scene where Peter and John are brought before the Jewish leaders because they've healed a man in the temple and and preached the gospel in conjunction with that, and that caused a stir. And and they're telling them, "You, you have to stop this. You have to stop sharing this message. And this is what... Peter says in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 
rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. In verse 12, listen to this. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. This is our commission. We are to share the good news of the gospel that disciples might be made that they might come to this person of Jesus Christ who is himself the only way to God the Father. So that brings up a question then. So why don't we share it? Why don't we share the gospel more faithfully? If it is clearly commanded and it's the only way, what are some of the reasons we don't share it? Well, I, I made a short list. You can go ahead and put the whole list up there. We'll just briefly mention these. We could add to this list, but here are some of the things that typically can keep us from sharing the gospel. Fear of man is at the top of the list. Fear of man is when we, we prioritize the, the feelings of others about us over doing what is right. I would rather be thought well of. I'd rather not cause offense. I'd rather not have an awkward conversation, and so I just won't share it. Lack of initiative, we're just, just not really prioritizing it. I mean, if someone were to come to my door and knock on the door and ask me what is the gospel, I suppose I would share it, but not really making any real effort to go out and be intentional. Lack of training, maybe you have a real burden to share the gospel, you know you should, you, you feel convicted that you're not, but the truth is you just don't feel equipped to do so. Well, that's what, why we're doing this this morning to help with that. Sometimes we're just distracted by the details of life. Life is busy. There's, there's soccer practice and basketball practice and, and this and that and the other. Good things, real life things that get in the way of us sometimes prioritizing better things. The love of self. The love of self ties into the fear of man. But sometimes, you know, I just want my comfortable, easy life. I don't want to make any waves with people, you know, I'm comfortable here in my home. I worked hard today. I don't really want to get out and talk to anyone. Love of self. And then, of course, poor theology can add to that. Just either not understanding the gospel or not understanding the command to share the gospel or not understanding the importance of doing so. Those are some of the, the most common reasons we may not share the gospel. And so let's begin then. We know that we should, we know that we must if we're Christians. We know that Jesus is the only way. Where do we begin? I think we have to lay a, a right theological foundation about evangelism to begin with. So let's talk about a biblical perspective of evangelism. This is so important, so crucial that we start here before we get into the nuts and bolts of the gospel and sharing the gospel. First of all, we have to understand that the Bible teaches over and over again that God is sovereign over salvation. You have to know this. You, you have to have this in mind as you think about evangelism and as you go out to share the gospel. It is a, a helpful corrective for us. We see this all over the place. But in Acts chapter 13 specifically, I want to share this one passage with you. Um, beginning in verse 42, I want to read this section, but really leading up to verse 48. 
It says, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. So they're on a missionary journey. They're sharing the gospel. The people are excited. Verse 43. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds... They were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I've placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Now listen to verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Notice the word order. It does not say, and as many as believed were appointed to eternal life. It's reversed. It says, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. The apostles understood this. They knew that they were sent out. They had to be faithful to share the gospel, but they also knew that the only way that anyone was going to respond to the message is if the, the God the Father through his Son and the Holy Spirit did a work in their heart. It says also in John six forty four that no one can come to the, fa- to the Father unless he's drawn, that the Father must draw him to salvation. So we have to have that in mind because it it focuses our responsibility. You can't save anyone. I can't save anyone. The the most gifted evangelist and apologist on the planet cannot save anyone with their, their swift words and swift brains and clever thoughts and statements. It must be God who saves. In fact, here's the truth. Here's the reality when we share the gospel. We are preaching to the dead. Spiritually speaking, we are preaching to the dead. And you say, well, what's the point then? If they're spiritually dead and they, they can't even respond to the gospel in their own strength, what's the point? The point is, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. They are dead but can be made alive by God, but how? God says in his sovereign choice that it will be through the preaching of a message, the message of the gospel. And some will come in true faith and repentance. We know that because here you are. Here I am. God saves through the gospel. We're simply to be faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, But God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. We're we're just like a farmer that's out sowing seed and, and, and watering that seed. But the farmer cannot make the seed germinate and grow. He can't. He's just doing the labor. God must do that. Same thing is true in evangelism. We're faithful. Paul said, I don't take any credit. Don't don't lift me up. Don't lift Apollos up. Don't lift Peter up. We're just simply going out, spreading seeds, watering them. God is causing the growth. So that has to be your theological underpinning. That has to be the foundation. 
Otherwise, you will, you will go out thinking that you have the ability to, to persuade unto salvation and um, be sadly mistaken and even fall into legalism, this, this idea that it all depends on me and carry a weight that you were never meant to carry. The call of the good, Great Commission is to be faithful, to share the true gospel faithfully, pray and let God do the work. Briefly, let's talk about how not to share the gospel. Because I think before we get to the gospel itself, there are some unhelpful, unbiblical ways that unfortunately become common in evangelism. First of all, the phrase, just receive Jesus. You want to be a Christian, just receive Jesus. It paints this picture of Jesus as if he's just wringing his hands and he's just begging, oh, would someone listen to me? Would, Would someone come to me? Would someone love me? Instead, when a person comes to understand the true gospel, as we're going to get to in a moment, the the tables are flipped on that illustration. And what happens is the sinner realizes it's God who must accept me, and I am unacceptable. I need to be received by Jesus. And the only way that I can do that is is not by my goodness in myself. It's, It's by repentance and faith in his goodness and who he is and what he's done. And so we don't want to just paint this picture. Hey, just, just receive Jesus. It'll be fine. What about this one? You have, a, you have a God-shaped hole in your heart that only God can fill. That presents the gospel as if, you know, you have a lot good going on. Good career, good family, good life. You're just missing this one piece. If we could just plug in Jesus into that piece, you'd have it all. The gospel says, you've got nothing. You've got nothing. You, you are totally depraved. You're a sinner. Admit your sin, and Jesus needs to give you a new heart. He doesn't need to cut out a piece of your heart or add a piece. He needs to take that heart out, your, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. That's the gospel. How about just come to Jesus and you'll have peace, comfort, and happiness? Are you depressed? Is your marriage bad? Are your finances bad? Well, just come to Jesus. He's a chain breaker after all. He'll break those chains and you'll be fine. Listen, the gospel is not a promise of temporal happiness. In fact, if you read the New Testament, the temporal lives of the early Christians often got much worse when they came to Jesus. And honestly, that's true around the world. The American situation we've been in since the inception of our nation is really the exception to the rule. Throughout history, to truly become a disciple of Jesus Christ meant you were going to suffer. And Jesus said, hey, they did this to me. They will do it to you. We can't promise people that that they'll have a happy life. That's not the gospel. That's not even people's biggest need. The biggest need that they have is to be made right with a holy God whom they've offended and rebelled against by their sin. So the gospel is about being reconciled to God. That is what they need. Lastly, don't just say, just repeat this prayer after me. Now, I'm not saying that no one has ever been saved by praying the sinner's prayer, as it's called, if they genuinely meant that and whatever prayer it was was a a true, heartfelt expression of repentance and faith. But understand this. Coming to Christ is not a formula. It's not hocus pocus. It's not a magic trick. When, when a person truly understands their sin and how, how 
awful they have rebelled against God. And it's just laid bare before them, and they really see it. And then they see the, the precious riches and glories of Jesus Christ. You don't have to tell them what to say. They are overcome. They're like the great prophet, woe is me, or I am undone. Save me of my sin. And so we just need to, we just need to preach the gospel and watch as God does the transformation. Why not share it this way? Why is it bad to do these things? Well, first of all, understand the gospel, hear this, the gospel is God's gospel. Let me say that again. The gospel is God's gospel. It's his message. This is not our message. We are like heralds who have been given a message that's been dictated by the king. Our job is to give it accurately and not mess it up. Right? We don't have the freedom to take away. We don't have the freedom to add. Both of those things are equally dangerous, by the way. It's just as bad to preach a weak gospel that that takes away necessary elements as it is to add works righteousness to the gospel. Both of those are equally bad and end in a false gospel. Our job is to be faithful disciples of Christ who take his message as it's been revealed by by God on the pages of Scripture and share that faithfully. There's one other concept that's important for us to understand here in the beginning, and then we'll get into the actual nuts and bolts of the gospel itself. And that is the use of the law in evangelism. The use of the law in evangelism. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. He says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. What is Paul talking about? He's explaining what the purpose of the law really really is for the heart of man. The law of God acts like a mirror. It's like it puts a mirror in front of your face. When you understand the true commands of God and how he calls us to really live. Take, for example, the Ten Commandments. All except for the the command to keep the Sabbath and the Sabbath regulations that were part of the the Old Testament law. That has been done away with by the New Testament under the New Covenant. But those those other commandments are still active and repeated in the New Testament. You shall have no other gods before me. Do not covet, do not lie, do not steal, do not commit adultery. Those are still very much active. And here's what what happens. When, When we come alongside a person who believes themselves to be basically good, which is really most of us before we come to Christ. Our our default position as we think about ourselves, if I was to ask you a question and say, would you say that you're basically good, most people would say, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I've done some wrong stuff, but I'm a pretty good guy, I'm a pretty good lady, I've done some good things as well. When we hold up the mirror of the law, we suddenly see, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not good. I'm not even basically good. I'm not kind of good. I'm not halfway good and halfway bad. I'm just bad. I've broken the law of God, and I am guilty before God. And so the law, using specifically some of the Ten Commandments, can be very helpful when you're talking to someone that's really convinced of their own goodness. Just to say, hey, would you be willing to test that theory? Just, just for fun, let's, let's, were you willing to test that against God's Scripture? Well, sure. Well, let's just take one of the Ten Commandments, just, just one of them. You start to talk about that. Have you ever committed adultery? No. Okay. 
Did you know that Jesus said that even to look at a woman with lust in your heart is the same as having committed adultery with her, that you've committed that sin in your heart? You ever done that? Well, I mean, then we get down the list. All of a sudden, that mirror begins to be clearer and clearer. And what we're doing in that is not not telling them that they can be saved by doing better, but that, that works is not the answer. It's something else. It's something better. The truth is the good news of the gospel cannot be rightly understood unless the bad news of sin is rightly understood. Then the brightness and the goodness of the gospel becomes the jewel that it really is. We saw this actually in Jesus himself. Jesus is our example. I had asked Drew to read that passage this morning of Jesus and the woman at the well in John 4. Because if you notice, Jesus comes and begins to have this conversation with this lady. And when it starts to turn spiritual... He asks her an interesting question, doesn't he? He tells her, well, well first of all, just, just go get your husband, bring him back, and we'll continue. Now, why did he do that? He did it because he knew her situation. Not only was she not married, she'd been married five times before and is currently living with someone who is not her spouse, living in a sinful relationship. Jesus brought that up in a gentle way to help her see her need. Uh, that's an example of using the law. It's, it's bringing the law that she would have known to bear, and then comes the call to respond to the Messiah. Now, with that said, let's look at a basic model to follow. It is helpful. Understand, there are many ways to share the good news of the gospel. There, when I say that, what I mean is there are, there are models for how to explain it. The, the information is the information, okay? But there are different ways to get into that conversation. And it is helpful to have a model memorized so that you don't go blank. So that you know, okay, I know how to get through the gospel. One way that can help you is we have these little gospel tracks. They're there at the Connection Center. And I'm going to walk you through in this message the, the, the steps, the four steps that we have in this gospel track. And so you can carry these. If you get tongue-tied, just take it out. Go to number one that's on the back and start taking them through it. Then go to number two, number three, and number four. But I'm going to equip you with, with a model for how to share the truth of the gospel. And here's the basic model. Four steps. Remember these four words. God, man, Christ, response. If you can memorize those four words. God, man, Christ, response. For some of you, it may be helpful to, to memorize it this way. Just three steps. Bad news, good news, response. Okay, but having some kind of model that you've memorized in your head, and now we're going to talk about what, what do we say about each of those things, but that's going to help you clearly communicate the key aspects of the gospel. God, man, Christ, response. Let's talk about God, the first step there. What about God do we need to explain to a person to help them understand the gospel? Well, there are, there are several things. God is creator of all things. Why is that important for a person to understand? Because if God is our creator, it means he has authority over us. So it sets up the authority of God over all people. He is our creator. God has authority, therefore, over, over men. Also, we want to express that God is not only the creator, but he's holy, perfectly holy. And finally, God demands holiness from men. He's our creator, 
That means he has the authority to tell us how to live. He is holy, and he says that we must be holy. Leviticus 19.2, I am holy, you must be holy. That is what someone has to understand, the very basics about the authority of God and who God is in their life. But then we go on to, <clears throat> excuse me, to the second step of man or the bad news. They have to understand some things about man. They understand that's who God is, but here's who you are. Remember, in his authority, God said that you must be holy as he is holy. Let's talk about that. Here's the truth about man. Man's sin has separated him from God, and a day is set in the future when God will judge all men. Now, this is true of, of mankind universally, but it's also true of each individual. And we're talking now, to, likely, to an individual. So helping them understand, it's not just that, that people have sinned, most people will, will say that, but that you specifically, as an individual, have sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here's the even worse news. Hebrews 9, beginning in verse 27, says, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Look at what that says in verse 27. It's appointed for men to die and then judgment. It's, it's important for people to understand you are a sinner through and through who has rebelled against a holy God and judgment is coming for every individual person. In fact, in James 2.10, listen to this. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law. Just imagine. Imagine you kept every law of God and yet stumbles in one point. He's become guilty of all. This, this presents the law of God like a, a massive chain. How many links in that chain have to be broken for the chain to be broken? Just one. Oftentimes people will say, well, I know, okay, all right, I've, I've told a lie, I admit it, I've, I have, I've lusted in my heart, okay, I admit that, but I've never killed anybody. Just one, just one. One sin and we are guilty of breaking the whole law. And now we come to a topic that is uncomfortable in our modern age, but is clearly revealed on the pages of Scripture. For those who enter that judgment... Apart from Christ, the Bible explains the reality for them for eternity will be hell. A real place, a place of judgment, a place of suffering. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
sobering but true words. The gospel is deadly serious. We're talking about eternity. For all who die in their sins, judgment and hell really does await. That is the bad news. And if you share that bad news in its fullness, there should be a heaviness. You should feel a heaviness right now. I feel a heaviness right now. When you share this to an individual, they should feel a heaviness. If they don't, they don't get it. Because these are heavy things. And now we're in the right disposition to hear the good news of the gospel. That brings us now to Christ. The good news. What about Jesus do we need to share with a person so that they may come to true saving faith? Well, understand that Jesus, who was he? He was God and man in one person. The God-man. God who took on human flesh. And he lived a perfect life. If you come to our church regularly, you know that I share the gospel as a part of every sermon that I give. And almost without fail, I mention the perfect life of Jesus. Why is that so important? Why not just skip to the cross? Understand, this is really helpful for us. Both the perfect life and sacrificial death of Jesus were substitutionary. What I mean is both of them were done in your place and in my place. You and I have broken the law. We have not been perfect. And if someone is going to be qualified to pay for our sins, they have to have been perfect. And so when Jesus came and he grew up as a, as a baby into a child, into a young man, and lived his whole life without sin... He was qualified as the God-man, the perfect God-man, to then offer that perfect sinless life as a sacrifice and it be accepted by God. Think about this. Other people have actually died for you and for me. If you don't believe me, just go to a military cemetery. There are thousands upon thousands of people who have died for our benefit. But all they have died for, and I'm not minimizing it, but is to allow us to have this temporal life. Jesus alone was qualified because of his perfection as the God-man to offer that life to pay for our eternal destiny, which is much, much more valuable. And so it is important for people to understand, look, he was God in human flesh who lived a perfect life. And then he offered that life as a sacrifice on the cross. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, that's God the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin... To be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's substitutionary atonement. He died in our place and then you can't leave out the resurrection. How do we know it worked? How do we know that the father accepted the sacrifice of the son? Because the tomb is empty. In the resurrection, Jesus validates who he was what he taught, and the fact that the Father has accepted his sacrifice for the sins of his people. The resurrection is not an add-on to the end of the gospel. It's why we know the gospel is true. It's the miracle that proved the validity of the gospel. Now, we're tempted often to just leave it there. We shared about God, we shared the bad news, we shared the good news. But We can't just leave it there because the demons know and even believe that and they shudder. 
the Bible says. What's the difference? A lot of people have grown up in church. They know and believe this, but they're not saved. Why not? It's because there's something that must come next. And this is where God must do this work in their heart as we share the truth. They must respond. That brings us to the proper response. As we close the gospel message, we leave them with an exhortation. Listen, friend, if you recognize your sin and you were broken before God and you want to turn to Jesus Christ for salvation, here is what the Bible says. Two, a twofold response. Really, it's two sides of the same coin. Repent and believe the gospel. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. We, we are tempted to just leave out the idea of repentance and just say faith. But the only problem with that is the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible includes the word repentance, and in fact, when faith is on its own, the biblical idea of faith is a repenting faith. Faith is not just cognitive belief, okay? It's not just saying, sure, I believe Jesus was that guy. I believe he did those things. True faith involves repentance, a turning to God. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, the first time the gospel was preached to a large group after uh, Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches the gospel, and the people are cut to their core. I mean, they're just ripped apart, spiritually speaking. They cry out, what do we do? Oh, no, we've, we've crucified the Messiah. What do we do? Peter said to them, repent. Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To be clear, he's not adding baptism as a saving aspect of salvation, but rather baptism is the outward expression of the repentant sinner. It's telling the world, I have repented. Repentance and faith takes place in the heart between us and God. We tell the world, initially, we've come to Christ through baptism. So baptism is not salvific, but it is a testimony of the saving grace that's already been applied to the Christian. Notice also Acts chapter 20. Verses 18 to 21. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, says Paul, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What was it that Paul was preaching? Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel that we must preach. This is the biblical response to the gospel. It is not enough to say, sure, I believe that. I'll take Jesus. A true saving faith is a trust in Jesus as my only hope and a willingness to turn away from following after myself in sin and to follow after Christ. We're not saying that a person has to become perfect. Repentance gets mixed up in some people's minds as if we're adding works to the gospel. We're not saying go clean yourself up, get your life right, and now you're saved. Repentance happens in an instant, just like faith. It's a turn. So it's the, my mind has changed, and I am now oriented this way. I was going that way, and now my life is going this way, following after Christ. Repentance and faith. This is the appropriate response to the gospel. So with that in mind, I would encourage you to memorize either these four words or 
another set of words that say that, that get you to the same point, but here is again the basic sketch. God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. Or bad news, good news, response. Memorize this, practice this, be able to share this, and carry one of these, and it will help walk you through that gospel. Understand that sharing the gospel message was normal and, and regular in the life of the New Testament church. This is, this is not something left to, to radical Christians. It was not as if the apostles were the only ones sharing the gospel. The gospel was spreading like wildfire across that area because Christians, individual disciples, were sharing the gospel. In fact, let me just give you a quick list. You can put all of these up on the screen of different avenues or, or ways in which we see the gospel being shared in the New Testament. We see uh, it's shared to large groups. We just read from the day of Pentecost. That was thousands of people were standing there as Peter proclaims the gospel. We see in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, that they were sharing it in the temple. Remember, the temple is where the Jews came to worship. And so the Christians just said, well, it's, it's logical that this is the place of worship and this is the Messiah we've been waiting for. And so we'll just have services here. We'll start preaching to people here at the temple. And so that's what they were doing in those early days. Look at Acts 5.42. It says, And in every day in the temple from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So it happened in the temple. It happened house to house. We see it happened one-on-one with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And then, of course, with Jesus and the Samaritan woman that we read in John 4. We have, we have all of these different explanations and examples of the gospel being shared in all kinds of settings. And so regardless of your personality, I mean, some people will say, well, I'm an introvert, you know, I'm not, that's for other people. Uh, sorry, if you're a Christian, you're called to share the gospel. I agree, the Bible's clear, not everyone's as gifted, not everyone has the gift of evangelism, where they're just, it's just every day, it's like 10 people come to know Jesus. Uh, praise God for those people. You, I'm not saying that you, we all have the gift of evangelism, we all do have the command, though to evangelize. And so whatever level of giftedness you have, use it to the maximum ability that God has given you. That brings us to a new idea. Now that we know the gospel and that we're commanded to share the gospel, we need to be recognizing gospel opportunities. We want to cultivate a gospel lens for life. If you're a Christian, you should see life through the gospel. You should see people through the gospel. When you're talking to someone at work or when you're getting your hair cut or you're on an airplane or your neighbor walks out and you all start chatting uh, while you're mowing the yard or something, you should be thinking through a gospel lens. The person that I'm talking to is in one of two camps. They are lost or they are saved. And I would like to find that out and share the gospel with them. That should be how you think about interactions with people. Develop a gospel lens. If you're not used to thinking that way, start thinking that way if you're a Christian. I would encourage you, pray for gospel opportunities. We've talked about the gift and necessity of prayer in in Colossians. Pray, God, open doors. Help me to be faithful. Help me to recognize them when they come. As I've already said, you can carry gospel tracts or or wear a a church t-shirt or something like that, not because that is sharing the gospel, but because that can open up doors as people ask questions. Hey, where's, where's that church on your shirt? I like carrying a gospel track because when I put my hand in, in my pocket to get my phone or something else, I hit that. 
And it, it just, it's a little reminder, I need to be thinking about the gospel. I need to be thinking about the gospel. And so just put it in your pocket. Carry it. Put it in your purse, ladies, wherever. But have them, have them with you just to keep it in front of you because we, get, we all get distracted with the details of life. We need to be cultivating a genuine concern for people. We don't share the gospel because it is a, a, an assignment, right? We share the gospel because we love Christ. We love people. We want to see them come to know Christ. I would encourage you to begin identifying natural gospel opportunities around you already. If you start to think about it intentionally, there are already unbelievers in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, whatever, that you have some kind of relationship with that are lost. Start to share with them. And then I would encourage you to become fluent in the gospel. Become fluent in the gospel. What I mean by that is practice it. I mean actually practice it. Practice saying it. Practice meditating upon it until it just flows off your tongue. So that when those doors open, it's, just, it's as easy as your ABCs to just say, let me share the gospel with you. And there it is. Practice it. Practice it. A lot of people struggle when it comes to sharing the gospel. And I, I really want to get practical here because I think this is where we, we get tripped up. They struggle with turning the conversation. It's like, okay, I get it. My neighbor's lost. I'd like to share the gospel with him. But how do I go from talking about needing to fertilize our yard to Jesus? Right? I'm struggling with that connection. Well, let me, let me, let me give you some, some tips that may be helpful in that endeavor. First of all, you must be intentional but you don't have to be obnoxious or legalistic. Keep that in mind. God is not calling us to be uh, the kind of people that are just strange and socially awkward that no one wants to talk to. We are people, right? We, we are in the world but not of the world, but we can talk about stuff. We can talk about fertilizer. We can talk about the cowboys. We can talk about whatever. Right? We, can, we can have real conversation, and that is okay, and we need to understand that. But what we want to do is think, okay, we're talking about these things. I've talked to this guy now five or ten times. I need to get to the gospel. If this is your neighbor and you're regularly interacting, I'm not saying that the very first time you ever talk to them necessarily you share the gospel. That wouldn't be wrong. But it's okay to build a relationship with them. But if you're ten years in and you still haven't had that conversation, we need to have that conversation. So be intentional but you don't have to feel this pressure to be obnoxious or to force it in like, hey, did you see the Cowboys game? Or do you know Jesus? You, know, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to be that guy. I would say also be genuine in your love for the person. Genuine, in, actually, really care about that person. Otherwise, people can really feel like an assignment to you. If we're not careful... And especially with someone that's in your life regularly and we, and we just sort of too quickly move into that in a, in a robotic way, in a forced way, it, it can really come across like you don't really care about me. You're trying to, to sort of persuade your guilty conscience. We share the gospel with them because we, we love them. We want them to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We are burdened for them. When you see an unbeliever, I was talking to my kids about this. When you see someone and they're living, they're doing something that's obviously outside of what God says and, and they're, they're showing it to the world, we don't hate them. We feel sorry for them. We, want to, we, we, we have a grief. So, oh, no, I want that person to know Jesus, right? We cultivate a love for them. Be genuine in your concern. I would also say look for natural connection points to spiritual truth in the course of conversation. Jesus, obviously, 
as we would expect, was masterful at this. Again, back to the woman at the well. Did you notice how Jesus turned the conversation? He just asked, hey, can I have a drink of water at the well? He wanted to talk about water, but he already had in mind that he didn't want to talk about the kind of water she was drawing. He wanted to talk about another kind of water, but he connected it to what they were doing. They were at a well to draw water, and so Jesus started the conversation with, hey, can I have a cup of water? And you, you can do that in, in conversations as well. As you, and as you practice these things, you become better at seeing connections to spiritual truth um, to regular life circumstances. I would also say don't make assumptions about their theology, either positive or negative. We live in the Bible Belt, and so it's, it's a high likelihood that if you ask someone if they're a Christian, they're going to say yes. Now, that's increasingly changing, but it's still very likely. I want to encourage you, that's not the end of the conversation. There are some questions. The first response is, wonderful, me too. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, if you don't mind, tell me, how did you come to know the Lord? Ask to hear their testimony. And now we're talking about spiritual things. And in that, they may say, well, you know, I, I don't know. I just grew up in the church. I'm just, you know, I've just kind of always been a Christian. Well, we know that's not possible, Right? To be a Christian means that at some point you've understood your sin, you've repented of your sin, you've put your faith in Christ. It may have happened early in life, but you weren't just born this way. And so now we have more questions. And now we begin to talk. We begin to inform with the gospel. And we keep going. On the, on the negative side, don't just assume that their, their theology is terrible either. You may very well be talking to a, a genuine believer. So don't just assume, the, I know you're saying that, but you're not. Uh, no, you're not. I know you think you are, but no, you're not. Um, you, you don't know, right? You don't know. You just approach them as a person, and you take each conversation as it goes. You may walk away now knowing another believer, rejoicing in that, or having shared the gospel with someone who maybe thought they were a believer but had never really heard the true gospel. I would also say don't attack their church, pastor, or denomination. When you say, hey, where do you go to church? And they tell you, don't go, oh, Congratulations, you've ended the conversation. You may know some things about that church, and it may not be a great church, and you may be absolutely right, but that's an opportunity, right? Oh, cool, well, well tell me something, you know, what do you like about that church? What, what are they teaching through right now? You know, wow, that's, that's neat. Let me tell you what we've been teaching through at our church, and just pff, go to the gospel, because I always share that, and so just, just go to that, right? At some point, we're talking about the gospel. But, but don't lose your opportunity to share the truth by offending someone unnecessarily off the bat. I'd also say don't change your normal pattern of speech with unbelievers. If you would normally say praise the Lord for that, say praise the Lord for that. If you, if you normally say, man, God is so good, say, man, God is so good. Because that's weird to people. If you're not a believer, you're like, oh, well, okay, yeah, that, I haven't thought about that, but yeah. And it can open up doors over time. That's a different, we, 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 our, our speech should be seasoned with salt, as we've talked about. We should talk like Christians. We should talk like people who love Jesus, and that's okay. Also, I would say keep the gospel primary and gather information. Keep the gospel primary in your conversation. There are all kinds of rabbit trails. We can talk about evolution, and we can talk about all these different things and different theories of that and this and the other, and don't get distracted in those things. Listen, I'm not saying I'm unwilling to talk to someone who has honest questions about those things. I will, but I'm always wanting to get back to the gospel. That is the goal, and that is where we need 
to land. Real quick, let's put all of these on the screen. Here are some potential questions you might ask to help turn the conversation. Do you go to church anywhere around here? I ask people that often when I'm getting my hair cut. It's a good one. They find out I'm a pastor and that either really excites things or shuts things down. Secondly, would you and your family like to come to church with me or us? To be clear, inviting someone to church is not the same as sharing the gospel with them. But it can be an avenue to sharing the gospel with them. I would say if they come, don't just have them come, but say, hey, let's go to lunch. And then share the gospel with them over lunch. Um, So it can be an avenue to help share the gospel with that person. You could say, would you mind if I ask you a spiritual question? A lot of people don't. A lot of people like to talk about that stuff. They're curious. Some people don't, and that's fine. If they they shut it down, just let it be shut down. That's fine. But a lot of people will take you up on that. Here's another one. Well, would you consider yourself to be a good person? And now we're right into the law and getting into the gospel. Or if you're carrying a gospel track, say, hey, did you get one of these? And hand it out to them. Tell them what it is. Walk them through it. Another one, do you believe in heaven? People like to talk about heaven. They like to think about heaven. They like to think that they're going to heaven. And we want them to go to heaven. And so ask that question. Usually people are excited to talk about that. If, if, if they say they're going to heaven, say, that's awesome, me too. Why do you think you're going? And have them explain that to you. Now you're right into the gospel. I've got several slides here with not enough time to share all of them. So what we're going to do is... Let's, David, let's skip ahead, if you don't mind, in the back, to evangelism action list, slide 24. There's a lot more I could say about those things, and I'm happy to in, in conversation, and perhaps we'll do a follow-up at some point on this. But I, I want to leave you with what do we do now? Where do we go from here? You've heard the gospel, the command to share the gospel, a few practical tips on that. Well, the first one is pretty obvious, I hope. Test yourself to see whether you are in Christ. Test yourself. It's biblical, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you indeed fail the test. As I shared the gospel, and we talked about the, the law and sin, the good news of Jesus Christ, was that new information, or, or, or was it something you realized, you know what, I've just kind of always thought I was a Christian, but I've actually never really repented of my sins and put my faith in Christ. Maybe I'm living in sin right now, now that I think about it. Then, friend, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Turn to him. Repent of, of your sins and put your faith in him and find him merciful and ready to save. We'll move on. Practice sharing the gospel with another believer. Practice this out loud to get fluent in the gospel, cultivate an awareness, anticipation of the second coming of our Lord. The second return of Christ calls us to to be ready and on edge to to share the gospel with all that we can before he returns. If you find yourself failing and you're just convicted because you haven't been sharing the gospel, then friend, repent of that and get up and share the gospel. Start today, this afternoon. Think through the different situations that God's placed you in at this point in your life. Think through your, your neighborhood, your family, your job, your kids' activities, your hobbies. Who are the people you can share with? And make an evangelism plan. Begin to pray for them and make an evangelism plan. Make a list of those people. Commit to pray for them. And then I would encourage you to choose a, a method of communication that's fit to that situation. 
What I mean by that is, for a lot of people, that's just a conversation. But it, you, you may have a dear family member who, you, who have lovingly tried to share with for years and years and years, and they have shut you down. They don't want to hear it. A lot of times I get this question that maybe they're near the end of life, and there's that sense of, I just want to share it one more time, but I don't think they'll listen to me. I've encouraged people in that situation when they've already shared the gospel many times to say, he, write them a letter. Write them a letter expressing your heartfelt concern for them in the gospel. Give them a chance to read that in the privacy of, of their own home or hospital bed. The Lord can use that. But think through what's going to be the best way to share the gospel with this person. Enlist a prayer, an accountability person, a partner from your, from your small group. Tell your small group who it is you want to share with and have them praying for you. Get in the habit of praying for these throughout the day. Remind yourself that God is working in and through each of your life circumstances to accomplish his eternal plans. Everything about your life, as we said, should be centered around the gospel. And God is working through you for his purposes. Very quickly, I want to mention our REACH ministry. Our REACH ministry in our church is really just the, the equipping arm of our church for evangelism. REACH exists to provide evangelistic training, resources, and opportunities. And so we're going to provide a resource here starting next week. Um, as you know, there's only one time of year that all of your neighbors and even strangers come and knock on your door and ask you to give them something. Uh, that's Halloween. Whatever your feelings are about Halloween, I know it's an issue of conscience. I'm not telling you you have to celebrate Halloween if that's against your conscience. But I am telling you, if you've got people knocking on your door and they want you to give them something, why not give them the gospel? And so what we're going to do is we've got 3,500 gospel tracks and little, little bracelets and the gospel explanation of that bracelet. We're going to have those available starting next Sunday and the Sunday to follow, which is Halloween. Take those. We'll have them in little packets of 25. Take a packet home. Put them in a baggie with a few pieces of candy and give them to people. Um, if, you, if you'd like, add to that, stand out in front. And as they come, give it to them and try to get in a conversation and actually walk them through it if they'll give you that time. But use the opportunities that God's given you in your life. And if that's not your style and you don't want to use that opportunity, you don't have to. It's not a thus saith the Lord, but it's an opportunity. If you don't want to use that one, use a different one, but share the gospel. I was reminded this morning as I was preparing of a, a famous quote by D.L. Moody, who was known as an evangelist. And a woman came to him one time and said, Dr. Moody, I don't like the way you share the gospel. He was a humble man, and he said, well, well ma'am, I'm always willing to eager to learn. Tell me, how, how do you share the gospel? And she said, well, I don't share the gospel. And he said, well, ma'am, I prefer the way I do it to the way you don't do it. If passing out these bracelets on Halloween, you, you have an issue with that, that's not your thing, okay, but share the gospel. That's the idea, share the gospel. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's some resources for you on the screen. We have these books in the bookstore. The track is in the back. We may not have the Kingdom of Cults in the bookstore, but it is a, a good one if you are into apologetics and want to learn more about how to share with those trapped in those false religious systems.